You're listening to the Meditation and Attachment Podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. Talking about the knowledge of comprehension and uh, the uh, understanding of the three characteristics, anatta, nietzsche, and dukkha. Uh, Anatta is not self, uh, anicca is impermanence, and dukkha is commonly translated as suffering. Uh, Shinzen translates it as unsatisfactoriness, and um, dan as reactivity. And we typically talk about it in three levels. Uh, uh, the human condition is to be born. Uh, to grow old, to get sick, and to die, and there's nothing you can do about that. The second level is that uh, you may get what you want, but then lose it. You may not be able to get what you want, and then you may have to put up with things that you don't want. And the third level is a subtle, ongoing, nearly constant irritation that nothing is actually the way that you would have it if you were actually in control of everything. This has a, a dual uh, or a two-sided sword. One is, it's not the way that you want it, and two, you're not in control of anything. Um, I think it's an interesting thing in the middle of the pandemic to, to really take on that uh, third aspect of this, that irritation, that the conditions are such that, that if you have the resources, you can stay uh, in shelter and, and be at less risk of the infection. And if you don't have resources, you can't do that. Um, but I don't know that we would have really chosen a pandemic uh, to happen right now. One of the things about um, the investigation of these is that uh, intellectually we can grab them pretty well, or at least most of us can. And we don't necessarily consider them deeper than that. And so in the meditation side of the practice, we really do want to come into a place where we are ardently investigating uh, these different aspects so that we can really have a direct experience of the nature of these things. Um, The search for it uh, and the, the frustrated search, the complete search that leads to the conclusion that there is no solid, ongoing, continuous experience of self that I can find and I've ardently searched for it and have searched for it to the point that I'm actually willing to give up on it is the, is the place that opens the freedom from the, the confined confining uh, self-experience. It also opens it up to this fluid movement between the selfing experience arising and passing in each moment, um, often as householders because we need the self-experience so often. We need the self-experience so often. Uh, I think of it sometimes as a, as a dimmer rather than an on and off switch. The sense of self is very low. The f- sense of self is very bright. When the Buddha talked about it, he talked about it uh, um, in some sense in the witchness of it. Um, 
which W-H-I-C-H. Um, that discernment of which is it? Uh, is it there? Is it not there? Um, it has an emergent quality to it. This is one of the things that's, that's harder to uh, get into. Uh, he used the metaphor of a chariot, for instance, in talking about the nature of self that if you took a chariot apart and laid all the pieces on the on the ground, nowhere in all of those pieces would there be a chariot. But that when you assemble them, what emerges from that is uh, the chariot, which is actually a thing that you can attach horses to and ride someplace. With the sense of self or the experience of self, you have all of these pieces bones and meat and skin that when they're all assembled and it's living the the self experience experience emerges from that but in examining each of those pieces of meat skin and bones there is no self piece that if you held up separately from that would be uh, ongoing, substantial, continuous. So how do we understand this emergent quality of self uh, that arises? And so what we want to begin to do is have a direct experience of it. Like a lot of these things, it isn't an, an understanding from the view of self. It is a getting used to the nature of the emergent quality of self that it arises in moments and it passes away in moments. We all, all know this, I think, uh, um, from what happens to us in in the the experience of being alive. But what we need to do is, in the meditation practice, really pursue these explorations to see if we can discover it. Um, the idea then with the exploration of self and not self is to see that in each moment self arises based on the conditions of the present moment. It passes away and as the conditions of the present moment change, the conditions of the self-experience change uh, and that it comes and goes and that we can move in a very fluid way between the arising and passing of, of the self-experience. This also is a, a way into understanding the nature of impermanence or anicca, that all things arise and pass. The self-experience arises and passes, the perception of the moment arises and passes, all of the activations uh, that we can track sensorially arise and pass. And uh, again, cognitively, we can understand this fairly easily, but what we need to do is this ardent investigation so that we have the direct experience of this being true, so that we give up on the idea that it might, there might be something that we can actually hold on to. Um, and then with these aspects of uh, the self, Sorry, with these aspects around uh, suffering. 
If you're older than 30, you have the experience of the body aging. And if you're under 30, you probably have the experience of the body growing, and it's quite different. Um, the older you get, of course, the more pronounced the experience of aging is. But it's very difficult to contemplate for most people that death is one of the things, one of the aspects of this human condition. We have a tendency to think that uh, even though things are changing and that we're aging, uh, that it will just go on forever. There, of course, is no evidence for this. There is no one that has gone on forever, uh, at least uh, that I've encountered. Um, uh, many of us have had parents or grandparents who have died. Uh, many of us have had friends who have died. In, in this uh, time of the pandemic, the, the, uh, that may be uh, quite a common experience for most people. But have you ardently investigated the possibility of your own death? Um, and can you touch into that? Uh, it tends to create a fork in the road in one direction is nihilism. If, if you're not going to survive, if nothing lasts, then nothing really matters. So why engage in anything? And in the other direction is this uh, engagement idea that you fully engage in each moment you have because you have it and uh, the experience of it is what's available, what you can really do. In Buddhism, we have the idea of reincarnation and that may have preceded Buddhism in, in the uh, animistic and uh, different religious practices that were present in India at the time. Um, when I went to Myanmar, there, they have a pagoda in downtown Yangon called the Shwedagon Pagoda. And um, most of the iconography of the Buddha is depicted as four Buddhas because one of the visions that uh, was recorded by the Shakyamuni Buddha was that there had been three previous Buddhas before him. And in the Shwedagon Pagoda, they claim to have relics from the, the three previous Buddhas. And that we are in a time of waiting for the fifth Buddha to arise. Often in the West, we're not invested in the uh, narrative of traditional Buddhism. But they are certainly in, in uh, Myanmar. Um, so the idea of reincarnation um, helps with this idea that this life, like all things, are impermanent and comes and goes. But in the West, often with the Judeo-Christian traditions, uh, we think of this as one life and then eternal life is either heaven or hell. Um, unless you've been... Um, uh, turned on to science enough that the mysticism becomes something that's impossible to consider seriously 
and you move into this kind of atheistic idea, then there is this one life and then nothing follows it. Um, and then uh, at the end of that, that early path into science, of course, you end up uh, in uh, the quantum world where uh, everything is connected and this whole understanding is a piece uh, and uh, but even with those salves if you will in a way how easily can you sit into the experience of uh, this life this collection of conditioning this experience uh, coming to uh, an end and so for that, we have these meditations where you sit into the contemplation of your own death. Um, uh, one of the texts that I was uh, working with said, uh, the instruction was to sit and imagine all the ways that you could be killed until you are shaking with fear that your life will be lost. And having done it, I can tell you that you can actually imagine, uh, I don't know, um, my mind having been conditioned by the, the uh, entertainment of extreme violence uh, can imagine many gruesome ways in which I can be killed. <laughs> and actually, after six hours of meditating on that, it was terrifying that this life would go, would come to an end and that there wouldn't be some next uh, moment to go into. But I tend to find that that pushes me in the direction of engagement, that each moment is precious and that each moment should be engaged uh, with. Um, it's an interesting conundrum to be in uh, in the, the uh, shelter-in-place mode that many of us are in. Um, there's no end to things that I would like to do and and uh, to be able to organize it in such a way that I can do them here <laughs> as opposed to having to go out in the world. Uh, I have largely organized my life uh, so that I never have to leave home anyway, um, but uh, it, it, it is a, a kind of confining uh, st structure that comes in place, which in some sense will also end and then we'll be able to move out into the world in a cautious way. And again, this is an ardent investigation, not just a conceptual cognitive understanding of this, to come into this uh, through a direct experience of meditation. The self-experience arises and creates this sense of duality where the self pulls out of the sensing experience and it's as if there were a separate uh, e uh, experience viewing the sensing arising and passing. An author, an owner, a doer, a controller, a creator of that experience, which is separate and unchanging in each moment arises and we have this sense of the self 
We have the sense of the world outside as being separate. And the insight is that actually the sense of self is made up of the same sensing experience that the world that we're experiencing is made out of. They are the same activity of sensing and making the sensing experience into something. So absolute reality into conceptual reality. And the conceptual reality forms with the experience of the viewing self and the thing that's being viewed, even though they are of one piece. And so that's the investigation, to see that, that that's one piece of it, and that this emerging of the sense of this uh, emerging of the sense of self from the various sensing activity can be very pronounced and can be very subtle and that it's useful. We need to be able to manifest that activity in order to communicate verbally, uh, to navigate the world. And so uh, it isn't a demonization of the sense of self or a, a suggestion that we should move into the place of no self and never come out of it, but that we should be able to move fluidly from the sense of self back and forth. We develop through our conditioning this working model of the experience of self and the experience of the world that in the moment of sensing activity when it arises, the conditioning that's associated with the sense of self is there. So you may notice that you have different reactions to the experience of self as it arises. If in the working model there are uh, a lot of negative mind states or negative emotions uh, embedded in that uh, framework, when the sense of self arises, there can be an aversive reaction to it. We tend to think of that as self-hatred. Uh, the sense of self arises and rather than it being a very pleasant experience that we enjoy having, we have an aversive reaction to the experience of self. And this comes directly from the conditioning of our early experience of the self arising and uh, our caregiver's response uh, to it. And depending on how they respond to it, we tend to embed the experience of those res responses into the working model of self. And so when it arises and we've had adverse experiences, uh, and this is particularly true of our, our early conditioning with our, our family group, however that was uh, created, did uh, they have an expressed sense of delight in being with you so that in, in your working model, the way that you create the sense of self, there's that expectation of being delighted in or in you delighting in the selfing experience, which is quite pleasant. And so each time the self experience arises, you have this pleasant response to it. Or were they critical or, or, or harmful or judgmental or, or indifferent to the experience of you as it arose in childhood when it was uninhibited and just that, that easy flow of the experience of self. And then as you collected those experiences and, and embed them into the sense of self as it arises, 
do you find that the sense of self arises and because it's filled with so many adverse uh, emotional uh, so much adverse emotional content that you don't want it to arise so there's an aversive response to it and um, can you see that clearly uh, and understand that that's actually what's happening and then be able to affect the nature of the self as it comes and goes. If the self were solid and ongoing and unchanging, you would never be able to affect any of that and it would be continuous. You wouldn't have a different perspective of your early life to the way that your life is now and be able to view uh, and understand coherently the nature of the experience as it unfolded for you. Um, if things aren't going well and you have the idea that everything is permanent and it never it lasts, then the, the sense of despair that can arise from that, that solidness and that unchangingness can be overwhelming. And, uh, and actually limit your capacity to respond to the uh, constantly changing experience of the present moment. Um, and again, it isn't something that you understand intellectually and are able to solve intellectually. We really do need to explore this in an, in an ardent, sincere way getting to the end of the exploration, having exhausted every possibility so that we are really at this uh, deep level convinced of these things, which then um, changes our perspective about it. So we sit in meditation. Uh, typically with this kind of practice, um, we search for an experience of self uh, that is continuous and unending. Uh, in the see, hear, feel technique that we'll use to explore this, in, in sight space, where is the self? In hear space, where is the self? In the felt sense of the body, where is the sense of self? When you notice the sense of self arising, what sensing experiences are arising that cause the sense of self to arise? And if you if you take the experience apart, where is it? Uh, it emerges from the pieces of see, hear, feel, but in each of these aspects, it isn't residing there. So you have that, that experience of the pieces and then the emerging of the sense of self and the passing away of the sense of self and the, the pieces themselves not um, uh, the piece that is a solid and, and separate experience of self is unfindable. In the search of <clears throat> permanence, we look in the sensing experiences for something that is lasting and ongoing and doesn't change that is constant. So when we find something that arises and passes, we move on from that and look for something that is lasting. 
So if you were to find something that was lasting, you would simply stay with it continuously for the entire meditation process because it would be unending and you would have found the thing that's uh, permanent. And then in the, in the nature of um, unsatisfactoriness or reactivity, one of the reasons that I like uh, Dan's uh, use of the word reactive is that um, even if you get the deep insight into the nature of uh, uh, nothing lasting, everything changes, and, and the self uh, not lasting, and, and even this human incarnation not lasting, even if you come to complete equanimity with all of that, you remain reactive. Whereas with the unsatisfactoriness idea, uh, if you come to a place of deep equanimity with the nature of the human condition, then it becomes less unsatisfactory or even not even un unsatisfactory. But the reactivity is still there. The, the senses, uh, each of the sense experiences remain activated when, they, when they're contacted by the sense object. Is that all making sense pretty well? Um, any questions about that? Have you all already discovered that there's no self? <laughs> that nothing lasts? that we're all going to grow old, get sick and die. And you're all fine with it. Sean, I can unmute you. All right. Yeah, there we go. Um, could you just talk a minute about how the, the sense of self and view are intertwined? Okay, I'll give it a shot. Um, view is, is often controlled by a, a mind state experience or distorted by a mind state experience. So you have the object that can be sensed, the capacity to sense it when they meet a consciousness of that sensing experience arises, which is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and then it's compared to the perceptual database. And if the conditions are right for the experience of self to arise, the perceptual database will supply the working model of self, which will arise in the present moment. Um, um, and then depending what the experience of, the, of that arising is, you may be totally equanimous with the present moment. You may be craving something different in the moment. You may be aversive to what is in the moment. You may not be interested in what it is in the moment. And so depending on which sense of self arises and what your relationship to it is, that can affect the kind of view that arises. So that if an incompetent sense of self arises, you may believe that you are incompetent, which will create a view and so that when you explore the potentialities of the present moment, you'll be distorted by that particular arising of the experience of self. 
in the potentialities of the present moment, everything is available to you. Every possibility that that moment has is available to you. But if your view is distorted and you can't see a range of the possibilities because the view uh, pro precludes you from seeing them, then it doesn't matter whether they're there or not because you can't see them to choose them. Once you choose something, of course, then all of the potentialities except for the thing that you've chosen uh, is lost because you've fixated the present moment in that way. And then all of the potentialities that are linked to that particular choice that you made in the present moment presents itself. And again, if the view is distorted, then uh, you may not see the full range of potentialities. Um, and then as you pick one of the choices that are there in front of you, of course, all of the potentialities except for the one that you pick fall away. And then the potentialities that are connected to the choice that you made open. Before you pick, of course, all of the potentialities of the next moment are there, and then all of the potentialities that are linked to whatever choice you make are there, and all of the potentialities that are linked to all of the potentialities that are linked to the present moment are there. So anything, anything that's available to you is available for you to choose in the moment if you can see clearly. One of the things about that is that it's so complex that you can't predict uh, when you take an action what the outcome of the action is going to be. You can make sense of it in reverse pretty easily, but in moving uh, forward in a sense, you, there's no way to know. And so in, in Buddhism we say you make a good intention for the action that you take and then you don't cling to the result of it. You then immediately go into the potentialities of the next moment and pick, and then into the next, um, in this, uh, this kind of flow of experience. Um, you can get, of course, quite fixated on a particular way that you want something to happen. And again, this could be the sense of self arising and this fixating the sense of self and imagining that it's real so that it needs defense or it needs protection in a way that it doesn't because it isn't substantial in that way. That in the next moment as it arises, a, a whole new experience of self could arise in relationship to it. Uh, and so uh, the fixating or the holding of <clears throat> In, in, in English, the word is attachment. You attach to a particular experience and make it solid and make that the thing that you want. And so then uh, a great deal of suffering comes from that because, uh, you know, nothing is the way that you want it necessarily. Everything changes, nothing lasts. The experience of self is, is unsatisfied or slighted because it isn't the way that you had imagined or that you would wanted it to be. Um, this is an interesting thing in terms of attachment because the attachment views are, are, are quite distinct from each other. A secure person walks into a room and they think that people will 
um, uh, greet them with delight and that they'll be interested in what they say. And so they go about the room as if those are the choices for them. And when we look at the early conditioning that causes that to happen, what, that, uh, what happened to them was that their caregivers expressed delight in seeing them without them really having to do much other than be the, the little child that they were, this expressed experience of delight, of care, of interest. But if you didn't have that, of course, when you begin to construct this model of yourself, you don't construct it that way. It doesn't mean you can't reconstruct it later and condition yourself to expect those things. Um, but if you're disorganized because there was some kind of trauma, the view is that uh, um, you're not capable of getting your needs met and, and that actually if you allow people to see and experience you that they're going to exploit and harm you. And then if you can imagine an array of potentialities that arise in the present moment, in one view you're thinking people will be really interested in me. They'll be excited to hear what I have to say. That They really would like to meet me. What are the choices that you might make from that? Or if you thought that if I'm not invisible, I'm going to be exploited and harmed. And what choices then might you make out of the same uh, collection of possibilities? Um, and so that that's one of the reasons why this insight into the nature of self is so important to really be able to see and pull apart that working model and understand that it's insubstantial. It is it's simply a framework out of which the experience is constructed, and that it's changeable. You can make it uh, differently by um, affecting the, the 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 nature of your conditioning. Is that making sense? Is that a good enough answer? <clears throat> if you believe that you're unworthy, even if the choices are there for you to take, and you think that they're only for worthy people to take, you are the one who doesn't take them. You, those potentialities you don't take. You take different potentialities. And then what opens up in the next moment, of course, are the potentials that are linked to the, to the, to the choice that you did make. And you move through these uh, uh, possibilities in that way, in this flow of choosing over and over again. Um, one of the images that I like quite a bit is that you're on the floor picking up crumbs um, that fall off the table because you can't see that there's a place card for you and a chair that's empty waiting for you to sit in it. Um, so that's this thing of opening it up and really being able to see clearly um, how that happened. This is the coherent narrative part of this process of understanding. Um, for instance, uh, when the sense when your sense of self strongly arises, what is the response that you have to it? Is it a pleasant, delightful experience? Is it an unpleasant experience? Are you indifferent to yourself? And can you can you understand that the that 
because the working model is created from actual experiences that you had and that it began quite early, that you may be playing the indifference of a depressed mother or, or a father who couldn't respond to you. And that when the sense of self arises, the, the sense that there's nothing you can do to get people to respond to you uh, arises and that you know that as yourself and you fixate it into a solid self that is real. And that completely distorts the view of the potential of the present moment. And that if you could see that, oh, there's the conditioning arising and move through that sense of self and just be in the experience of the present moment uh, and the, the and and um, because the view is clear, see the full potentialities that are there, uh, and then choose or not choose. There's no need really uh, to fixate a sense of self or fixate anything in the present moment, and then you just move from one field of potentiality into another in a in a in a an experience of flow, which is timeless. Um, and you can operate from that place too. Uh, many of us will have known this. Have you ever been uh, highly concentrated on a task that you were engaged in and looked up and noticed that two hours had gone by because you were so engaged in it you didn't notice that that was happening and yet you were totally engaged in the activity? So the sense of self not arising in that that particular scenario. Any any other questions uh, before we meditate? So we're going to do a see here feel meditation and part of it we'll do as an ardent investigation of whether the self is present or not and then uh, the second part of it will be focused on exploring impermanence to see um, if you can find something uh, if you can find a, a self that lasts and an experience that lasts I had a happy sense of self for most of the meditation um, a kind of beaming sense of, of a proud uh, self. <laughs> and uh, I was having trouble discerning it from the, the flatness of awareness. Um, so I noticed that my mind was, was bridging that sense of self over and over again. So it, it tended to uh, expand in that way. But then when I zoomed into a particular sensing activity, it wasn't there. Or if I just did two instead of the whole thing, then I couldn't find it in that. Um, and I think that that was one of the insights that I think that it's it's important to notice that when you've zoomed out and uh, focus in space is active all at the same time. So internal visual thinking, internal auditory thinking, and internal uh, uh, the felt sense of emotion in the body, that tends to create the selfing experience, particularly the aspect of visual thinking, which is the outline of the body and its its current position, the 
kind of a subtle aspect of that. This is me, um, and it feels substantial, but it's the emotion that really pushes the, the substantial feeling. Yeah, because if you asked me to describe what my sense of self is, I would have to use some combination of uh, an internal image with words, I guess, which is thinking. Use my thinking and images in my mind uh, and culminate these these things together to try to describe what the quote-unquote sense of self is, or could you say the opinion of yourself? Right. And then that's the, sense of the selfing experience, but it isn't permanent. And it's based on the activations of all of those different sense gates coming together in a moment uh, of that experience arising. And as soon as the activations of those sense gates change, the, se the sense of self changes. Um, and awareness knows all of that. Awareness is just neutral. I mean, we awareness is almost always there. There are a few times when it isn't. Uh, in, in a, if you have a period of deep sleep at night, there's no sense of awareness. But if you're not in a, de in a deep state of sleep, then there is awareness. Uh, if you're aware of your dreams, then awareness is present knowing that the dreaming activity is there. The other common time when people don't have a sense of awareness is when you've taken anesthesia Anesthesia, of course, doesn't kill pain, it kills awareness. And so, um, so that the body is still reacting to, to the pain sensations, there's just no awareness knowing it. And, and don't get mad at me if I've oversimplified it. <laughs> um, So in the moment when when you have the self-experience arising and then you, you investigate each of the different sense gates, you can have the self-experience and see in the sense gate that there's no self there. And so then you can, can become sensitive to the emergent quality of that. That when the, when the right sensory activations are present, the experience of self arises even though when you examine the individual pieces, it isn't there. And that's one of these really interesting things about the, the nature of human uh, consciousness, how that happens um, and how it's constantly changing. But if you don't pay attention to that, then, and, and you, the mind is skipping back and forth between awareness and the activations and awareness and the activations, then it can create this uh, idea that the sense of self is continuous and ongoing and has never changed from the moment you were born until now. And because it's solid and something that, that you need to protect so that you have it, you can get very defensive about, about the experience of it. Do you notice when anger arises in a rush to defend a, a perceived slight or attack on the experience of self what's that like but what actually are you defending in that that moment that making sense thank you 
Um, as uh, if you remember um, talking about the the development of spiritual aware uh, spiritual maturity, the first is to understand that you have a mind state and that other people have a mind state and that they're not the same and that that's the nature of the human condition and and that um, you can affect your mind state and other people can affect their mind state and that your mind state has an effect on other people and other people's mind state has an effect on you um, and if the sense of self is something that that becomes solid and believable as an as a real thing then that interactivity with the other person's uh, mind state can cause you to become defensive of your uh, imagined self experience and there's really no way to prevent that other than completely block uh, the connection to other people but if you can hold that sense of self as a coming and going uh, reactivity to the the experience of the present moment uh, then it can be a kind of uh, easy experience of the self arising and the indignation or the the joy or whatever it is that arises in the present moment and you can be open and curious about your own act activity of self without needing to defend it harley That wasn't me flushing the toilet, sorry. Oh. <laughs> uh, I find that the sense of self is willing to give up the external sense gates. Right. But as you talked about, when it, it goes to see, hear, or feel in, uh, memories, perseverating thoughts, it will want to demonstrate that it's there. And right. And actually, the closest I get to no self is is gone or rest. Right. Um, but what you did with the reverse engineering was really helpful because it uh, it doesn't like that probing. <laughs> uh, if, okay, you're there on the CN. Well, where are you really? Right. But uh, how do you do that and and still? go out and about in the world and, and people know you as a certain self. Well, what what you're noticing there is that the sense of self arises in relationship to that other person. Yeah. That sense of self arises. Um, but if a third person comes, then a different sense of self arises. Uh, and and uh, I like to be quite open and curious about what sense of self arises where and uh, and really to understand that there's this unconscious exchange of uh, uh, detection really or I don't know what, what word to use for it there's data coming in from the other people and there's data going out and you're actually tracking the the interaction between those exchanges and then the sense of self is arising based on all of this information which you may not be sensitive to be getting right uh, remember, when we walk into a room, we create a social hi hierarchy and then we peg ourselves as where we think we fit into it. 
uh, because this information is being exchanged on an unconscious level about uh, about uh, the other person and our per perception of them. Um, and so uh, rather than fixating and defending, if, if you, you become open and curious about what this thing is happening, then what you get from it is the insight into the nature of your conditioning, um, which I think is actually, it's, it, it makes um, the experience of, of uh, your own self very enjoyable um, because you're, you're constantly uh, curious about what's happening with you rather than, than not experiencing that or, or just getting caught up in the different fixated senses of self, particularly if you're aversive to yourself in some way. Which how is, is that different than dissociation? Because dissociation is pulling out of the present moment inwardly and disappearing. And this is pushing out into the experience of the present moment and being right there as it as it's happening. So it, in some sense is the opposite of dissociation. Um, you know, the Buddha described this in the Satipatthana Sutta as mindfulness of inside, mindfulness of outside, and mindfulness of inside and outside. That you're tracking all of this. It's not that you don't have a sense of self, it's that there isn't a permanent one. That it arises in relationship to the conditions of the present moment. And as the conditions of the present moment, the self-experience changes. And it comes and goes. Sometimes it's intense. Sometimes it's uh, subtle. Sometimes it's absent. Uh, you may believe that you need a sense of self to operate, but you don't. You can operate perfectly well from no self. And in fact, people often remark with uh, people who uh, operate mostly from no self is that they're much more present and much more in tune with what's happening. But then you won't create autobiographical memories of what happened. Uh, and so it isn't as uh, useful in, in, in social groups uh, where we mostly live. But to be able to come and go from that, that completely flowing, unfixated, sensing experience, which is very expansive, and then fixating momentarily into these very efficient a brilliant uh, senses of self is is another way of describing what enlightenment is that ease to move between total no self flow into fixating a brilliant sense of self as Shinzen would say first I've never been a good snapper but anyway you get the idea <laughs> snap there's the brilliant sense of self and you don't need it anymore and, and you don't cling to it in any way so it just falls away are you the same person you were when you were five years old can you even really imagine what that perspective was like I mean, it's next to impossible because you don't have the equipment. Your brain is completely different than it was then. You don't see anything the same way. Uh, you can re recreate a memory from them, but you're not actually recreating a very accurate memory of that You're because you're using this body that you have now with all of the capacities of this body 
and you're playing um, an old old record. Did you ever, um, maybe you lived to the experience of, uh, I don't know why this comes to mind, but it is. My dad had a whole collection of 78s. And whenever we tried to play them on the 33, it really didn't work out that well, right? <laughs> and there used to be a time when all record players had a switch where you could go from 33 to 45 to 78. And then gradually that, that was less and less available. And so you're playing a memory that you made that's pretty well intact at five, year old, five years old on a, on a 33 when it's a 78. It's just not the same experience, even though, it, though we can, if we fixate it, believe that it's actually an accurate, uh, an accurate uh, retelling of what happened to us. And so you really want to move into this place of this flow of uh, conscious awareness and understand that it's arising and it's, it is uh, a pretty accurate uh, picture of what it means to us in this moment. And beyond that, the accuracy is not dependable. And then how do you navigate the world from that place, right? Because that's actually the accurate place. Uh, not, you did this to me because I remember it. Uh, that is actually not, you can't make a, a factual statement like that because that isn't even how we work. We don't remember what happens. We remember what it means to us. And then we play what it meant to us <clears throat> in the body of what it means to us now, which is, which is layer after layer of, of difference. Um, and then it's when you get rigid and fixate these things that you tend to amplify the suffering because it isn't, not only is it, it isn't accurate, it isn't uh, really the way that the whole experience of being alive is. Is that making sense? I'm trying to articulate this. If you can move into this place of this is what I'm perceiving, this is the sensing I'm, this is the conceptual reality that I'm making. And you can be open to other people and inquire of them what is that they're making out of it. What comes back to you is not an accurate reflection of what's happening, but an insight into the nature of their conditioning and how they're experiencing things and creating from the same experience of the present moment. Uh, their uh, response, which is, which can be endlessly fascinating, in terms of navigating this this traveling together with someone else. We really don't, and this might be quite uh, punctuated because of the pandemic. If particularly, I know for myself because I live alone, I I don't usually spend so much time alone and it has an effect uh, in, in terms of the body. Uh, there's a kind of sluggishness that comes from that and a dullness that comes from that. 
because we're meant to be engaged in these interactions with other people. We're built for it. Um, so how's everybody doing? Okay. So um, I want thank you for coming. Um, I'm offering the teacher on a Donna basis. If you'd like to contribute Donna, if you go to the website, there's a link for the Donna. I wanted to say that I'm I'm teaching a day long on Saturday, meditation and attachment for relationships. So I'm going to be talking about uh, the dynamics of secure functioning collaborative relationships and then doing some practice. You can come as a single person or as a couple. We'll do some dyads, I hope that uh, that works. And if you come as a couple, you can work together. And if you come individually, you'll be assigned to, to somebody to work with so that we can begin to look at uh, the, the nature of conditioning and how it affects the way that we respond in relationships. And then I also have a, a, an inquiry. We have a retreat scheduled, a 10-day Metta-Vipassana retreat scheduled for July. And I'm curious whether uh, if they do lift the shelter in place in California and the retreat center is still open, <laughs> a lot of big ifs, <laughs> whether coming out of two or three months of shelter at home, you would, the, the first thing that comes to mind is rushing to a silent meditation <laughs> retreat <laughs> or whether you think uh, it would make more sense to push it to the fall. Um, many people are expecting the, the uh, summer to slow the infection and then it to restart in the fall um, or whether or not um, something I've never done before is to do a virtual retreat um, where it is actually a retreat where where we're sitting all day long and you have the same number of uh, Dharma talks and, the, and interviews and all the rest of it. So if you have thoughts of that and would be uh, happy to send me a note about it, I, I would really appreciate that. George at metagroup.org so we can figure out our planning for um, the retreat. Thank you.